book is Haggai. The theme of the series is renewal, spiritual renewal. So that's what we're going to be paying attention to as we walk through this really magnificent little minor prophet of the Old Testament. So guys, a few years ago, a young pastor moved into a new town with high hopes, as every young pastor should. Older pastors know better. And I'm kidding. But he moves into a new town with high hopes, and he takes over an older, established church in an area where there had been in the past legitimate Christian fervor, a church that was full of people, a town that was full of people that honestly worshipped God and sought Him. But it turns out that the church that he took over was in the middle of a theological controversy. So what that meant for him is that a lot of other pastors and churches in the area viewed him and his church with either suspicion or derision. And when he came into town, and instead of finding a solid Christian foundation, what he found was serious decay in the town and the surrounding county. The average age of marriage for both men and women where he lived and pastored was in the late 20s. Young men spent the vast majority of their time in the taverns and bars around the church. Out-of-wedlock birth was skyrocketing. Church attendance was sparse. And mockery of the pastor was common, sometimes even during the Sunday morning service. The young pastor had actually walked into a spiritually cold environment, and the culture around him was quickly falling into decay. The time was the 1730s. The area was the town of Northampton in New England, and the pastor was Jonathan Edwards. Within a few years, however, not only had the entire town, essentially, of Northampton turned around, so had the vast majority of the surrounding region, and what we call the First Great Awakening had begun. If you know one thing about Jonathan Edwards, you might be familiar, you might think, oh, he's the guy who preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that sermon actually occurs in the middle of the First Great Awakening. And we use those magnificent words for First Great Awakening because it was a spiritual revival that moved from this little town in the woods of New England through all 13 American colonies. And it is something that we as a culture are still dealing with today. What God did profoundly and powerfully through that period of time. But don't miss where it started. A darkened culture, but a determined church. So we open today the book of Haggai. When was Haggai written? Why was it written? What was God trying to do when he sends the prophet Haggai to his people? There's a clear context. There's a clear historical context to the book of Haggai. It turns out that this guy was called by God to speak to his people after a decade-long neglect of God's call and of God's work. We're going to learn through this passage this morning that God had powerfully delivered his people from exile. God had, in surprising and powerful ways, brought his people back into the promised land, back to their home in the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And God had literally during this period of time, started to renew his people, started to rebuild the culture, the city, 
the temple. But while that's happening, the people of God during this period of time, they faced significant opposition to the work that God was doing. They had a growing list of enemies that surrounded them and wanted to stop the work that God was doing. The people of God grew frightened, and the work stopped. And then God sends Haggai. Here's some of the things we're going to discover about renewal this morning, about spiritual renewal. And remember when we talk about this, we're talking about it on three significant levels. We're talking about me. We're talking about spiritual renewal inside of every individual who follows Jesus Christ. A brand new realignment with the presence and the power of God's Spirit. Renewal inside of us individually. Renewal inside of us as a church. This is something that can happen corporately as well. A new realignment with the Spirit of God. And then by God's grace and sovereignty and power, friends, it can even pour outside of the walls of a church and turn into something that a community begins to get a hold of. We're talking about me and us and them when we talk about spiritual renewal. So here's some of the things that we're going to discover today as we walk through this passage. First of all, God leads the way. God initiates renewal among his people. God leads the way for his unique work, spiritual renewal, in ways and at times that we think the most unlikely. Okay? God initiates in ways and times that we don't expect, okay, that we think are the most unlikely. God initiates, but then we discover that you and I can prepare for the way of the Lord. You and I cannot force the hand of God. We can't create a program that's going to suddenly make revival fall. We can't do that, but we can prepare the way for God. And I firmly believe, as I've been spending time with this issue and this passage and so forth, that even the process of preparing the way for God's presence and for spiritual renewal is the beginning of that renewal inside of our hearts and our lives. So we can't force His hand, but we can prepare ourselves for God's presence and for God's work. And then we discover that we obey. God initiates, we prepare, and we obey. Guys, in our obedience to God's voice, renewal can begin even when we think things are too broken or too dark. In our obedience, renewal can begin even when we think it just can't work anymore. God's light really will shine the brightest when things seem the darkest around us. Let's begin reading book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. 
And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may have pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. In the second year of Darius the king, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And he begins to speak to the people of God, specifically two individuals that we'll talk about here in just a little while. Now, biblically, the book of Haggai overlaps with three other, at least three other books inside of the Old Testament. There's another Old Testament prophet who comes at the same time as Haggai. His name is Zechariah, and his book is just one page over to the right inside of your Bibles. And if you've ever wanted to read an Old Testament prophet who in your mind is a stereotypical Old Testament prophet, Zechariah is your guy. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. But these guys are prophesying. They're speaking at the same time. We have these two other books earlier in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. And those two books tell the story. They give us the history, God's people coming back and the rebuilding of the temple. And they give the historical account of the context that Haggai walks into where God begins to speak. So here's what's happened. The context really is important. So let's make sure we get a feel for why Haggai is saying what he is saying. So God's people have returned now from exile. This is when Haggai is in the city of Jerusalem. So exile, what do we mean by that? The people of God, if you go back 70 years, you know, you go back at least one generation in time, The people of God had rebelled against God. They'd been warned by God. They continued to rebel. And this empire by the name of Babylon had shown up. And eventually, Babylon destroys the nation of Judah. They destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple itself. They raise it to the ground. And they carry everything in the temple that was precious and powerful to them. And they carry it off into exile in Babylon. In fact, the the back of the graphic that we're using for renewal is a relief of God's enemies taking the things of God's temple out of the temple of God. So that's the exile. People of God are taken into slavery into the nation of Babylon. But then 70-some-odd years later, another empire rises to power, and it's the Persian Empire. And there's this king by the name of Cyrus, who's named several times in the Old Testament. And what Cyrus does is he puts out this decree that allows the people of God to go back home and rebuild the temple in the city. And in fact, Cyrus, in the biblical record, he grants them um, all the resources and the king's letters, all the protection and the money that they need to rebuild the temple. Now, the picture that's going to be shown up here behind you is what's called the Cyrus Cylinder. So the biblical record tells the story of Cyrus sending the people of God home. So this is an ancient archaeological artifact that actually comes from the court of King Cyrus. And Cyrus's cylinder says, I, King Cyrus, sent the Israelites back home. So we've got this really cool historical marker for the world and the time in which Haggai lives. So the people of God begin to return. Some of them begin to return. Ezra and Nehemiah actually count the people who go back, and it's roughly 20,000. It's a group that Haggai will call the remnant, a small group of people who return. But when they go back, almost nothing remains 
of their cities, of the temple, of their culture. Their culture that was focused and centered on the worship of God. So the very first job for the people who return is the rebuilding of the temple and then the rebuilding of the city. And during this time, God is literally at work rebuilding their world. He is renewing his spirit inside of his people. And Haggai will, learn, will use this language that my spirit is with you. Do not fear. God is renewing his people. God is rebuilding his people. And as you read through this story, at first, everything goes really well. This remnant returns. They begin to lay the foundation of the temple. But then King Cyrus, who had given them money and protection, he dies. And a new king of Persia rises to the surface. And the enemies around the nation of Israel see this as their opportunity. So the enemies of the nation of Israel, they write a letter to this brand new king that's full of slander for Israel. It's what we might call fake news. And the brand new king of Persia believes the fake news. Sends back, and all of this is in the book of Ezra's, uh, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Sends back a threatening letter telling the Israelites, you had better stop rebuilding this temple. So their enemies continue to multiply. Their enemies harass the people of God. The enemies of God's people don't want the people of God renewed and rebuilt. And so they actually manage to get the project stopped. The people of God grow afraid, and they put down their shovels and trowels, and they go home. Somewhere between 12 and 13 years later, God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And here's how the story is told in the book of Ezra. So in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it goes like this. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, one of the glories of reading the Old Testament out loud are all these names you've got to go through, right? Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied over the Jews who are in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then, and here are these guys again, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, or Joshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. A little over a decade later, they had done nothing because they had grown frightened of their enemies. The prophets show up, they begin to speak, and what do the people of God do? They obey. They pick their shovels back up and they get started again. So here's this phrase in the book of Haggai that goes by quickly. And we may even think, well, it's just kind of a filler phrase. We're reading an Old Testament prophet, so this is just what gets said. But the phrase is this. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. God begins to speak. Guys, it is God who acts first. It is God who is at work, ready to renew and rebuild his people. God's people had rebelled a generation and a half ago, and they were removed from the land that God had given them. And because of their rebellion, people had died, and the city and the temple had been destroyed. And God actually judges them and sends them into exile. But get this, God wants them home. 
God wants them in relationship with him. God wants them worshiping him where God put them to worship him. So what does God do? He relines things and he begins to draw his people back to himself. Remember the sense of what we mean by renewal. That God is realigning us with his spirit, with his presence, and with his power. So guys, this is important. God initiates renewal. This is an incredible thought. If this is not true, then what it means is that you and I have to work and 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 and hope that God hears us and decides to do something. That's not gospel. That's not good news. That's not this God. This God initiates renewal. God wants his people with him. He wants them in relationship with him. God wants his people worshiping him. This is a powerful biblical truth. Every step we take toward God is initiated by him. He wants you with him. We simply cannot come near to him except that he has already been pursuing us. He has already been preparing the way. He has already been speaking and working. And this is God's grace at work among all of us. The 50-cent theological phrase for this idea is prevenient grace. Now, the word prevenient simply means to go ahead of, to go before. This is beautiful. This is the grace of God that goes before us so that he can draw us to himself. This is God calling all of us to him. So if this is the case, if this is how God's grace has gone ahead of us to prepare the way for us, then the real questions begin to, uh, begin to be things like this. Do I care? Am I paying attention? Do I want this? These become the significant questions now for us. Not, is God speaking? But do I want to hear him? Do I know how to? Do I know how to align myself to prepare for the presence of God? This thought reminded me of a beautiful passage of Scripture tucked in the middle of the book of Ephesians. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this. It's a kind of prayer that he prays over the church at Ephesus. And he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, listen to this, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is renewal. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you want that? Is that a list of things that makes your heart go, I need that. I need that in place of what I know I already have and who I already am. I need something else. Notice how Paul talks about it. That he, by his grace and his strength, 
May he give it to you. God initiates. God wants his people to be defined by passages of scripture like this. So guys, when we look at it this like this, we realize that oftentimes a lack of renewal, a lack of the sense of the presence and the power of God is sometimes simply inattention on our part. Distraction, lack of concern. Maybe we just simply don't think it's important. It's just simply a truism of how human beings work. If we don't think it's important, we won't spend any time on it. If we don't think that thing that we just read in Ephesians 3 is important, we're not going to spend any time on it. Do we even think that this kind of thing is possible anymore? Do we think that God even works like this anymore? One of the great pastor theologians of the 20th century, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book called Revival, and he calls this problem spiritual inertia. And here's how he describes this, and this might sound familiar to some of us in this room, me included. I believe, too, this is one of the greatest dangers afflicting all congregations. We may feel something during the service, and we may say, I'm going to deal with that. But then going out of the service, we begin talking to people, and we talk about other things. What we felt in the meeting is gone, and it never comes back. We feel it, we taste it, but then we walk away and we're distracted. We just lose sight of its importance and of its power. So God speaks. We may even hear him from time to time, but then what do we do with that? Do the words of God fall on hard ground, on soil that is compacted and dry? If you can imagine throwing a seed on that to try to get something to grow, you throw that seed on that soil and it just bounces right off and nothing ever happens. Or does the word of God fall on soil that has been turned over so that what is rich and ready underneath is now on the surface? And so when that seed falls, the soil of our lives is able to grab hold of it. And when the rain of God falls, that soil is ready to receive it so that the seed can take root and the things of God can begin to grow. What's happening inside of this heart? But we need to understand something else as well. And as we walk through Haggai, we're going to develop some of these thoughts. But, guys, it's not just what's happening inside of our hearts, but the culture around us is flat, dry, hard ground. Our culture's become flat. It's become hollowed out of divine meaning and action. Our culture essentially lives in a two-dimensional plane without a grasp or understanding or even a belief of how important it is that God exists and God still works. We may not even be sure anymore as a culture what God does, whether the concept of God is important, whether even the concept of the body of Christ and church itself is important. Do we even know why this is important? Flat, hard, dry ground. But God speaks. God initiates. And we can prepare the ground to receive whatever it is that God is saying to his people. So God initiates. But then we discover through this book that God also sends his people who are ready to do his will. 
God sends people who are ready to rebuild among the rubble. God sends people who are ready to rebuild among the rubble. Now, first of all, when we just talk about the lives of Old Testament prophets, this is unique, what happens in this period of time. If you're familiar at all with any of the Old Testament prophets, from Moses to the end of the Old Testament, there's this kind of process that tends to happen between God and His people and their prophets. God's people rebel. They start walking away from God, so God sends a prophet. The prophet's primary job is to remind the people, here's the way of God. Make sure you walk in it. Repent and return to God, and everything's going to go really well. And the people of God hear the prophet, and they go, eh, nah. And they continue to rebel. That's why they went into exile, as a matter of fact. The people of God tend to say no to the prophets of God until we get to Haggai. And it's going to say inside of this short little book a few times, and they obeyed, and they obeyed, and they did, and they obeyed. The people of God were ready to hear what God had to say. And God's spirit falls upon them, and their city, their temple, their culture is rebuilt because the people of God are ready to hear. How is it that the people of God become ready to receive the presence and the power of God? Of God. This morning I want to talk about that thought in terms of the people and the skills that God sends home. Haggai speaks of these two individuals. They're named in this book. They're named in the book of Zechariah. We've already read them in the book of Ezra as well. They're critical to this. Zerubbabel and Joshua. So God sends two men home and a group of people that go with them. Now remember, that's a big deal for them. For a little over 70 years now, exile has been their home. That's where their family has been. That's where they have planted roots. That's where they have farmed. That's where they have done everything that they normally do. They've done it in a foreign land. And so now Zerubbabel and Joshua, they lead the small group of people back into the promised land where there's nothing waiting for them but work and the voice of God. So they leave Babylon, and they bring with them the expertise and the willingness that is required to rebuild. One of the people that God sends back is a politician. Believe it or not, God can use politicians. In the book of Haggai, he's called the governor. Now we might, you know, governor, we think politician. Really what happens with Zerubbabel is he becomes an administrator. He becomes a civic leader. He becomes a citywide project manager because Zerubbabel's job is to organize the people and the material that are necessary to get the work started to rebuild the foundations of the temple. Now think about this for a second with me. Who is necessary to rebuild a temple? You're going to need a lot of people with some time and with some strong backs to clear away the rubble and to open up what used to be the foundation. You're going to need masons. You're going to need concrete workers. You're going to need timber layers. You're going to need construction workers. And you're going to need even more than that. The temple itself is not just a great big brick building. The temple is actually filled with these beautiful things that God puts in the temple to describe His glory. So you need construction workers and you need artists to do their job as well. And and then you need people who are baking bread and preparing the meat to feed those who are doing this work and that work. You need a lot of people who show up to rebuild the temple. So God sends a rub a bell. That's who he organizes. 
The other person that God sends is the high priest, Joshua. Joshua's job is to reorganize priesthood, to reorganize the work of the temple, which is worship. That's Joshua's job, is to make sure worship returns to the people of God. Here's how some of this is told in the book of Ezra as things are going well. In Ezra chapter 3 and verse 8, it goes like this. Now in the second year, after the coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning. They got things started together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. These two guys and everyone they're organizing, they get it started. Jump a verse later to Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Here's what happens. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets. We've got musicians involved with this as well. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they, everybody who had come, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his steadfast love endures toward Israel. This is just the foundation they have laid. And they had gathered to worship God and say, God is always good to his people. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. So here's one of these renewal principles that we're just going to keep talking about as we walk through this series. Renewal will involve every Christian with every skill set dedicated to the Lord. That means you. That means whatever it is God has put in your hand to do, if that is dedicated to the Lord, He will use it to renew His people. He will use it to realign His church to the presence and power of His Holy Spirit. Every follower of Jesus Christ, every skill set dedicated to the Lord. And when that happens, we all gather together and we shout for joy because of what God has done. Zerubbabel and Joshua and all that they represent show up. And then God sends this guy by the name of Ezra. And Ezra arrives full of the word of God and ready to worship. Some of these thoughts we're going to dig in to a little bit more later on, but I want to make sure we watch this happen. God sends Ezra full of the word of God to God's people. Here's how Ezra is described in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a guy who has dedicated himself to understanding the law of God. And his job 
was to do it. I love that. His job was to live it in front of the people of God and do everything he could to explain it to the people of God so that they could also live in the Word of God. Later on in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, Ezra stood up with the law of God in front of all the congregation of Israel, and he read it, and he gave the meaning of it, and the people of God repented and worshipped their God. That's Ezra's job. This is who God sends. So here's another one of these principles. Renewal requires the people of God to believe in and live in the Word of God. We need to make sure that we are clearing our hearts and minds of false idols, of false gods, of false ideas about God, bad ideas about the authority of the Word of God. And in its place, we need to be filling ourselves with the truths of God. So here's what he does. He sends a man who has dedicated his life to the study of God's Word, ready to teach everything he knows, and ready to guide the people of God into God's ways. So God sends Zerubbabel and Joshua, and he sends Ezra. And then a few years later, he sends this guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah shows up all prayed up and ready to make a difference. A few years after Ezra goes, Nehemiah, who is working in the capital city of the Persian Empire, he's a cupbearer to the king. Some of his family have made a short vacation from the city of Susa back to Jerusalem to see how things are going. They come back, and Nehemiah wants to know how things are going. And this is what happens in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah sees what is wrong. He knows how it should be right. And it drives him to his knees to pray. The rest of Nehemiah's prayer is full of this thought, full of this pain that he has just come in contact with. And here's another thought, another principle of renewal that's important for us. Renewal will require people who pray with passion and focus. It requires people who pray with passion and focus. Nehemiah knew what was wrong. He knew what needed to be right. That became the content of his prayer for days on end. It became his plea to God. And as a result, what God does is he opens a door for him to return to Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah leads the rebuilding of the walls around the city with a shovel in one hand and a sword in another. God sends Nehemiah, and God's people are ready to obey. 
So think of it one more time. That very simple phrase. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. That is not a phrase that shows up in the middle of thin air. It is a phrase that is rich in context and meaning and history and need. It is a phrase that is filled with the power of God to initiate incredible things among his people. It is a phrase that is full of the the, the context of the people of God who are ready to hear now the word of the Lord and listen and obey. So guys, I want us to hear this this morning. The only word that can make a difference in a cultural moment that is this dark is the word of the Lord. Please hear this. The only word that will make a difference in a cultural moment this dark is the word of the Lord. Are we ready to hear it? Are we ready to obey and see what God will do? When the culture around them appeared to be in ruins, God begins to move in surprising and shocking and powerful ways. God raises up, of all things, a Persian king and sends his people home with all the money and resources and protection that they need. God stirs the hearts of his people with all of the gifts and abilities that they need to accomplish the work that he wants done. Spiritual leadership, business leadership, architecture, farming, ranching, art, politics, prayer. God puts all of these people in place ready to go. And as we started this morning, we realized this as well. God stirs the heart of a young pastor in a bedraggled church in the backwoods of New England, and an entire nation is never really the same again. In all of it, God leads the way, and his people are ready to hear, and his people obey the word of the Lord. Guys, let's not let whatever we see or feel as darkness, let's not let it fool us. Don't let it lull us to sleep. Don't let it lead us into despair. But let it lead us down the path of preparation for the renewal of God's Spirit. Guys, know that God intends to be manifestly present in every one of our lives and to use you for His glory. Dig deeper into the Word of God. Learn how to obey what you find there. And guys, let's pray. Let's pray big. Let's pray with focus. Let's pray with specificity. But let's pray for the Spirit of God to come. Let's pray together this morning.